This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. All right, we've got here Dave and Holly. Dave, how you doing? Good, thank you, mate. Great. Appreciate it. Tell us about uh, what uh, you've obviously been in the SHOT Show. We just sort of mugged on the way out. What do you enjoy about uh, being in the SHOT Show? Oh, mate, there's a bit of everything, you know. Come and have a look around, and uh, we're only new to the sport, so there's plenty to look and, look and see and learn and getting my daughter sort of interested in it as well. So she's sort of half keen to come along with a bit of encouragement. Absolutely. So how long have you been in it specifically? Oh, about three months. So, real new. Yeah, what's, what prompted you to get involved in it? Uh, well, I own my own pest control company, so I want to sort of do um, some bird control services and so on. Yeah. What about your daughter too? How did, how did she, is she into it too? Is she keen to get on board as well? Or? Yeah, it'll be starting tomorrow down at the pistol range. So Holly, what do you, what, uh, what do you think of Dad or uh, getting into firearms, etc.? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> no, all right. Um, I'm unsure at the moment. <laughs> yeah, she's a bit unsure? Yeah. No worries. Tell us about, I mean, not sure, you don't have to tell us if you don't want to, but um, do you vote for a uh, pro-gun political party? We haven't in the past, but something we'll consider now, you know, for sure. I mean, I, I was always pretty easy going either way, you know. Yeah, yeah, mate. Uh, also, just wanted to ask you, I think it's really great that you're introducing your daughter sh- to shooting sports. How important do you think it is that we introduce all the, all the younger generation to our sports and, and to keep our freedoms alive? Yeah, absolutely important. I think it's very important. So, I mean, you know, it's about having some independence and some rights, I suppose. So, yeah, all for it, all for it. Do you uh, uh, hunt, shoot, fish, or just this in regards to the pest control company? Uh, no, no, we'll do, be doing a bit of shooting, not so much into the hunting, but we'll be doing a bit of shooting and a bit of target stuff and so on. I think it's just a different sport for it to get used to, you know. Absolutely. Dave, thanks for your time. Yeah, no, my pleasure. All right, just here with David Bella from Abella's Gun Shop. How are you doing? Very good, thanks, boys. Appreciate it, mate. Tell us, I mean, Abella's only new. Tell us how it came about and uh, what was the motivation to get Abella started? Well, I've always wanted to do things on my own and, uh, and branch out into different states. So, um, yeah, the only way I could do it is by myself. So uh, I've got a shop in Melbourne now and, um, and Abella's in uh, the Superstore in Campbelltown. Yeah, how's it been going? So how long have you been open, both stores? How long have you owned them and how have they been going? Uh, just on two and a half years now. Um, they're going great guns. <laughs> Probably the strongest in the uh, in the country, and um, yeah, no, we're on board with all the uh, all the major suppliers and the, the smaller ones as well. Mate, tell us first. I guess how did you get into? I mean, obviously, it's a pretty interesting pastime. We all love hunting, shooting, and fishing. But how did you get into sort of wanting to own a gun shop? Well, it all started with father. So uh, yeah, I sort of got pushed into it. But um, yeah, no, I enjoy it. I enjoy hunting and going to the clubs and uh, and whatnot. Yeah, no. The, I know there was a lot of issues, I guess, surrounding when you first opened at Bellas at Campbelltown, trying to get it through the council. Um, do you think it was a worthwhile cause? Are you happy with the location, even after since up until now? Oh yeah, definitely. It's uh, it's a it's a really good um, really good place in in city, which ha- has been untouched for so long. We get everyone come out from Campbell, uh, from Camden, Canberra, uh, all the way down down south, and um, yeah, they love it. Yeah, David, look, I've been in your shop many times, as you know, and uh, it's a fantastic store. It's pretty much what every gun shop in Australia should look like, really. I mean, it's a, it's a big area. You've got pretty much uh, every... Almost every... like Cabela's in the United States. Very similar name. <laughs> yeah, very similar name. That's quite fortunate, actually. Now, but now David, I, I, I did know your father in, in the very early days when I first got into hunting, and I remember fondly hiring some guns off him uh, to go shooting on the property and the back back in the days when you could do that. And that was, that was just fantastic and um, very fond times uh, 
Gun, Horsley Park Gun Shop and, and seeing you guys there. But, mate, what, what we wanted to discuss recently, you, you had an interview on Triple M with, uh, I think, Joe Hildebrand. And uh, we heard that interview and we thought it was great. But towards the end, Joe Hildebrand asked you questions about uh, relaxing the laws a bit. And I think you're a little bit gun-shy on that question. What do you got to say about that? <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know what to say there, but, um, yeah, basically on, on the laws, well, look at uh, Obama now. He's, he's wanting to take our laws on, on board. Um, I think they're strict enough as they are. Laws are in place for, for a certain reason, and um, and they seem to be working out fine. I mean, all these drive-bys and that, how many registered guns are there being used them? Well, none. So. As, a, as a dealer, say, I mean, obviously I would consider if, you know, it's even your low, your low, your, semi, your Ruger, say, 10-22s, maybe your, your semi-automatic shotguns, your pump shotguns up to a five-shot uh, capacity. I think given that happened, let's like, say, tomorrow or towards the end of the year, I mean, your business would just, they'd be flying off the shelf. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's... It, there's vermin all over the place, and that's the only way to, to, to rid of them, you know, with the semi-autos. And, yeah, for sure, that, their uh, business will boom. Well, th- th- that's another thing I wanted to tackle too. Do you think there is a, an element in the industry where people are a little bit scared of political correctness and not saying things like that? I mean, I thought you had a golden opportunity on that show to say, look, once a person is licensed, I mean, it doesn't really matter what guns they own. They're either fit to own guns or they're not. I think you had a really great opportunity to say that, but you didn't say it. How come? Yeah, I, I really didn't have a chance to. Um, I spoke to the guys earlier before the interview and I told them how hard it is to get a gun licence and you know how clean we have to be. I mean, you look at this place here, everyone's clean clean record. Otherwise, you just can't keep your sport. And um, But they didn't air that. So, um, yeah, I think they were, they were trying to be politically correct as well. In terms of the industry, David, I mean, how hard are you guys fighting to get some of these... Leg- you know these laws abolished in regards to access to semi-automatics for, for the average Joe. I mean, sure enough. I mean, if I can buy a pump-action, you know, centerfire rifle, I'm sure enough. I'm, I'm responsible enough to buy a pump-action shotgun. I mean, th- these these laws are really just kind of like a no-brainer to get them overturned. I mean, how, what are you guys doing in the industry to try and get this get this sorted? Well, we got dealers uh, associations in in each state. And we're all working together to, you know, we're always talking to um, Parliament and we've got the Shooters and Fishers Party as well. They're, they're trying their bit. Everyone's putting us putting together and, um, yeah, we're, we're trying as much as we can. Yeah. And, mate, just also wanted to ask you, recently, as you know, uh, Liberal Democrat Senator David Leinhelm has been uh, elected to the fe- Senator-elected to the Federal Parliament and he's been kicking a lot of goals in regards to gun laws and trying to debunk some of those myths that have been put out by the anti-gunners and uh, he's been on uh, uh, 2UE, 2GB, the major TV stations, uh, also written a great piece in a recent financial review. Uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts on that? Well, <laughs> any, anything like that is... is Great, obviously. Um, yeah, there's not much I could say. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we're all looking a bit. Um, I guess, hey, Dave, if people wanted to come to your shop, say, they want to go down, can you just give us maybe where they're located and give us the phone numbers if you know them offhand, just so people can come in, purchase items, and uh, have a chat with you if they need some expert expertise? Yep, no, well, the, uh, the superstore's in Campbelltown. It's 1,200 square metres. You've got the helicopter hanging on the roof and the whole lot. That's at 13 Wattsford Road, Campbelltown. Phone number there is 46263222. And the one in uh, Melbourne, in Thornbury, it's uh, 871 High Street. And number there is 94803366. Just a final question, David. We've got this wonderful Australian hunting podcast <laughs> poster. Now, will, will you hang this up in your shop? Sure will. <laughs> David Abella, thanks for your time. You're welcome, guys. Thank you. All right, we're well, here just at the front of the shot show with uh, Martin and Damien. How are you, fellas? Good, thanks. Yeah, excellent, thanks. What brought you is basically uh, to the shot show today? Um, basically, um, we go every year, we do a lot of shooting. Been shooting since we've been six years old with the old man and just love coming to the show. 
Yeah, pretty much the same, but uh, bought a new rifle a couple of months ago and um, just gearing up for our big trip away. What do you like to What do you like to hunt? Uh, most times uh, the pigs and goats. Most time we travel out to back of Queensland. Yeah, pretty much the same. Try to get some uh, some good horn on the goats and nice tufts on the pigs. Are you guys more like disciplined shooters? Do you like going in the rifle range, long range shooting? Just purely just hunters, or a bit of everything? I think we do a bit of target, but then we like to um, do a lot of long range as well. So. Guys, what do you think of the current status of the Australian gun laws? Uh, are you in favour of them? Do you think they're too strict or they, do you think they could be relaxed a bit more? They could be a little bit more relaxed, I reckon. You know, there's, I don't know, it's hard to explain. You could, it's up and down, sort of. Whoever you speak to is all different things. Yeah, I don't think they're too bad. I think our more issue was um, with the Game Council, with the issues we had with that, hunting in state forests. It seems to be all sorted out now. That's right. I guess you couldn't have rid it any better, couldn't you? Farrell's now gone. The police minister who did the ammo bill, he's gone as well now. Uh, what's it, Robin Putmars with Robin Parker? the Robin Parker, environment minister. That's right. She's gone too. So um, I want to ask you guys uh, if, you don't have to tell us who you vote for, but if, unless you want to, um, do, you, do you vote for a, a pro-gun party? Yeah, we do. For most times the Fish and Shooties party. Yeah, what sort of things would you, or what do you think they're doing? Let's go both ends. What, is, what are some things you think they're doing great? Um, well, I don't know. I haven't really sat down and looked at it, really. <laughs> is there anything you'd lo- is anything they're not doing that you're not that they've done over the, so the past 12, 18 months, five years that you haven't found has been you know, any issues there? No, not really. Everything everything they're doing is not too bad. Um, um, but I reckon we, we, what we would all like to see is a bit of these national parks start opening up instead of state forests. Absolutely, we've heard about that today. What about yourself? Pretty much the same. Yeah, that, that that's pretty much my view. Yeah, I think the, having the stadies back open again is a good thing, but um, maybe the national parks as well. Boys, apart from the hunting, is there any kind of gun laws that you would like to see relaxed? Um, like, for example, you know that in New Zealand they've got availability to suppressors because there's an OH&S issue and they've got availability to, to low-capacity semi-autos, same as in Canada. Is that sort of the same, the same sort of thing you would like to see in Australia? Yeah, I think so. I think we should go back to how we used to. We used to be able to legally buy um, pump-action shotguns. Now it's all different class of rifle and all this sort of stuff. It's changed a lot. Personally, I don't mind the laws at the moment. They're not too bad. I think you know, there's a lot of um, a lot of guns out there that shouldn't be, but uh, I think sometimes it's good to be a little bit stricter. All right, guys, really appreciate it. Thanks for your time. No worries. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, we're just here with Aussie from Aussie Reviews on YouTube. All his uh, videos on how-to, testing out different firearms. How are you? Mate, fantastic. It's a good show and I'm really happy to be here. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it, mate. Tell us about Aussie Reviews, what they do, etc. Well, look, about two years ago I decided to start up the channel. The reason I decided to start the channel was I wanted to get a more positive light out there and there wasn't really anyone here in Australia doing a lot of YouTube reviews with a thorough in-depth desktop review and then actually taking it out into the field. So I thought to myself, well, you know what, I want to start something like that. And not only that, the real purpose behind it, other than just you know enjoying the products and, and using them and so forth, is to get more and more people into it because we all know shooters, well, in my view anyway, are seg- really separated, segregated in this country. I wanted to get more people together so that when it comes voting time, there's more shooters, more votes that can go in our favour. And that's what I wanted to do. So do you hunt, shoot, fish, all of the above? What do you enjoy? Mate, all of it. I I like fishing. Uh, You know, I like hunting. I like shooting. I I do occupational shooting, so I do that as my work as well. So, look, shooting's been a big part of my life ever since I was about six years of age. So, Where do you plan on taking it in the future? 
I'd like to see it uh, become a real central point for people who want to come and see unbiased reviews. Everyone knows that I'm not affiliated with any company. Sure, I review products from different companies, but everyone knows that my viewpoint on it will be open and honest. If there's something that doesn't work or I don't like about it, I'll certainly express it. But then again, if there's something I love about it, I'll certainly say that as well. So I'd like to eventually see that get to the point where it gets around enough where everyone knows about it. And, I mean, on that topic, last night we just hit over 860,000 hits. Two years ago we were sitting on 4,500. So we're getting at the moment about 2,500 hits a day, so it's starting to go up a lot more now. And I'd like it to be a central point where people can come and get an honest viewpoint on a product. Excellent. We did see, Mars, we did see that uh, review of the uh, Rossi Circuit Judge, the one we can't own here in New South Wales, eh? Absolutely, Jason. And Aussie, look, I just want to say how wonderful it is that people like yourself are getting out there, putting yourself out on YouTube, on, 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 on all types of uh, media platforms and, and really spreading the word. And I think, what is it about the Australian culture that many people, especially, I mean, we've got almost a million gun owners in this country. I think it's about 800,000 gun owners. What is it about us that makes us... I guess a little bit gun shy about our sports and not willing to speak out about it, not willing to voice our opinions. I guess really my personal viewpoint on that is the media are a lot to blame for that. The reason is because obviously they put so much negativity out there about firearms and it's really started to brainwash or scare people from bringing up in a normal conversation. I mean, like, I've got friends over in the States from when I was uh, over there previously. You know, we'll sit around and talk about firearms all day long, and they don't care who's, who's listening. So that's where I've sort of started to change my ways here, talk about it a lot more in a positive light. And really, you convert people to see it the way that it really is. That's only a, a minuscule of what we see on television about, you know, crimes and, and people holding up uh, service stations, all that with firearms. That's not us. That's not the sports shooters, the hunters, the recreational shooters who just really enjoy the hobby and the passion of it all. And that's what really, I think, is to blame. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Look, I, I thoroughly agree with you, and it's part of the reason why I started my YouTube channel as well. I saw a lot of inactivity, really, yep. uh, in general, and I thought to myself, well, you know, I've got to do something. I can't wait for someone else to do it. And, and I just think, you know, a lot of Australians are, are really scared to speak up about their firearm ownership, and I think they should. They should. I think they should be, uh, they should be proud of uh, their heritage, their culture, and they certainly shouldn't shy away from it. And I think part of that it comes down to uh, having the, the power and the knowledge behind them to defend their sports, to defend their rights, their freedoms, and so on. And I think that's something that's really lacking in our culture, uh, in, basically in, in the Australian mindset, is that we're, we're a, little bit more, a little bit too conforming, wouldn't you think? Absolutely agree with that. I mean, even on a personal note, my partner, you know, you've met her here. When we first started going out, now this is a true story, she was actually, we bought, she brought up in conversation and we were actually away on holidays. And she said, oh, I just don't think anyone should have guns. And I mean, I nearly had a heart attack, <laughs> you know, but that's a true story. And I said, well, look, unfortunately, you've got your viewpoints, I've got mine. So when we get back home, there's the door. That's a true story, true story. And, uh, you know, but much to her credit, she said, well, okay, and she started putting out the feelers and thinking, well, okay, maybe there is another side to it. I took her out to a competition shoot at uh, the local pistol range just on a uh, Thursday night, and there's uh, two older ladies that come along to that, that shoot. And it was only a rimfire silhouette shoot. They put no more than probably about 20, 30 rounds down range, and they spent the whole night you know, chatting and catching up, and it was a social outing for them. My partner came along. She spent the whole night there just watching. She didn't shoot at all. 
And at the end of the night, I just said, well, what do you really think about this? And she goes, it's amazing. Like, no one was talking about killing anyone or shooting anyone. And, you know, and I said, well, what did you expect? You know, like, this is the the law-abiding side of firearm ownership. And then, you know, and now she's completely converted and she promotes with other women, especially her friends and that, to give shooting a go because... I like to use this example. How many of us have been to like the exhibitions or shows when we're younger and picked up an air rifle to have a shoot at some duck silhouettes to win a, uh, you know, win a stuffed toy? What's the difference with picking up a twenty-two or something and going out on the farm and just having a bit of a shot at a can? It's just a pure enjoyment of it, and that's what we, we really like to see. And I think if more of us could do that by speaking up about our firearm ownership and our enjoyment of the sport or hobby... We would convert more people, not by trickery, but just by the simple fact of it's just pure fun. Yeah, absolutely, Ozzy. I agree with you 100%. And just uh, in, in saying that, myself and Jason were interviewing a couple at the front of uh, the entry where the show is. His girlfriend, actually, she just basically got her firearms licence. And basically, I, I was asking the question, well, why did you get your firearms licence? She goes, well, you know, I, I, I tried it out and I really enjoyed it. I said, well... I said, so, so the old saying is no one really hates gun, you just haven't shot any yet, is that true? And she said, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I, look, I agree with that completely. And most people that you, you know, provided they're open-minded about it and give it a go, they just have so much fun. And, you know, and that's where I think it's an important thing to start them off on, on a twenty-two or something small so they don't get scared of recoil or just the noise and you can just introduce them to the sport. Rosie, tell us about your political parties. Do you think your pro-gun parties are doing a lot for shooters? And if so, what do you think they're doing good? And if not, what do you think they're doing not so good? Sure. I I think basically, and this is my own viewpoint, we've got a lot of pro-gun parties starting to emerge up here. I was there for the Qatar Australia Party uh, announcement on their firearms policy in, uh, in Brisbane. So I took an interest in that some really great ideas and everything but I think one of the main issues is a lot of the smaller parties that we've got who are pro-gun unfortunately don't have the funding that they should have and that comes back to us the shooters to get more involved to get off the couch and actually go and you know hand out flyers on the day on election day or actually you know donate give some more money you know we all struggle i understand that but we've got to do more and help these guys out because they don't have the the money backing of like the lmp or their alp you know they, they just don't have that so it's up to us to help them out to get them over the line Speaking of that, there's been a lot of and some new parties, well not really new parties pop up, but some that have been successful at the federal election. Uh, obviously we've got the Shooters and Futures, we've got the LDP, the Outdoor Recreation Party. Do you think competition is good? Do you think it splits the vote? Or do you think it makes our politicians work harder for our votes? Unfortunately, I think from a shooting point of view, it splits our vote to a degree. I would like to see them all join together or at least give all their preferences to one another. I'm not an expert on the political scene as how votes work, I don't know. But I sort of find if you've got all the the minor parties, even though they share a lot of the same viewpoint, say, for example, uh, on a a smaller scale, we've got 10 shooters and we've got five different parties. So those parties only get two votes each or three votes each separately. Well, then we've got the divided vote that really doesn't get us anywhere. We need to all join together in this country, much like the NRA over in the States have. And, uh, And I mean, I know that they're not a political party as such, but we need to bring in a lot more of their ideas with marketing and strategy and start bringing shooters together as one and then send a clear message about what we want. And uh, at the end of the day, we're all the law-abiding ones. So my personal viewpoint on it is we should be rewarded without undue interference from the government to pursue our hobby or our sport. 
Yeah, well said, mate. I absolutely agree with that. Um, although I have different views when it comes to splitting the vote. But on, on a side note, in terms of you were speaking about the NRA, do you think the SSAA are doing enough for sporting shooters in Australia in terms of political lobbying? I find because I'm a life member of both the SSAA and the NRA. My viewpoint on the SSAA is a lot of people will say, well, what are they doing about like semi-autos and things like that? The thing is, they're a sporting organisation, so they really concentrate or focus on sporting firearms. And in saying that, I know in three-gun competitions in the States, you can have your semi-autos like your ARs and everything like that. I'm sure if that was a permitted or allowed event here in Australia, we'd see a lot more involvement from them. Obviously, I can't you know, guarantee that because I, I don't represent them. But... On that note, I just think that basically it's a little hard for a lot of shooters to put a lot of, I guess, crap on them, so to speak, because their main focus is sports use. But I would like to see that expand to semi-autos, being a semi-auto owner myself. I understand where you're coming from. At one stage also, the NRA, United States, as we know, their most powerful lobby group in the world, really. Um, But at one stage in the 60s, they weren't political either, right? And they they realised that, you know what, to really stay strong, to maintain our rights, we really have to get political. And considering that the SSAA are the biggest organisation in the country, they've got 160,000 members in terms of supporting shooters, do you think that it's time or sometime in the future that they should evolve into a strong lobby group to, to really protect us from, uh, I guess, politicians that will take away our rights? I guess my view on that is, yeah, definitely I would like to see that happen. Whether it happens or not is completely another thing. But I do feel there's a fine line here because we don't have a Bill of Rights in the sense of the Second Amendment, so we don't have that to fall back on like they do over in the States. So really, at the stroke of a pen, a lot of it could be taken away from us. But in saying that too, and I, and I tell a lot of people this uh, back up home, is you can't just bend over, so to speak, and take it because what will happen is eventually they keep nibbling away at the cake and then all of a sudden you've got no cake left. And unless you stand and fight and do something, then you've got only yourself to blame when that time comes when you no longer can enjoy your sport or hobby. To finish off, self-defence as a genuine reason and a firearm in the home, yes or no? big believer in that, a big believer. I've done a couple of ministerial files over it that I've sent in to the Premier of Queensland about it and my argument is why should any politician enjoy protection from armed police or armed guards yet we can't have that right to self-defence and protection of ourselves and our loved ones in our own home. It's something that I would definitely like to see on the table here. Alright Aussie, thanks for joining us today at the SHOT Show 2014. Thanks buddy. Appreciate it mate, thank you. All right, we're here with David Lionhelm from the Liberal Democratic Party. How are you doing, David? I'm well, thank you. Thanks for joining us. Uh, tell us about uh, the election uh, last year and also when you'll become a senator uh, very soon, actually. Um, I become officially a senator on the 1st of July, so just a few days away. And uh, at that time, it's quite a big deal for Parliament, for the balance of power in Australia. The Greens and Labor will no longer be able to block bills in the Senate. The government will be able to get legislation through the Senate if it gets six out of the eight of us to agree with it. Now, when you look at those six, they are uh, not uh, inherently left-wing. They are relatively conservative, some, in some cases very conservative, and so therefore the chances are the government will get uh, legislation through. I'm expecting that there'll be a lot of negotiation. I'm expecting it will be issue by issue and they won't get everything through. And it'll, sometimes there'll be amendments required, 
But overall, I think they'll get their agenda. They'll be able to implement their agenda. Uh, the Liberal Party's not very good at negotiating. They, uh, they're used to doing what the boss says. If the boss says it's going to be this way, then they expect everybody to fall in line in their, in their own party. Now, I don't have to do that, of course, so just because Tony Abbott says we should have a paid parental leave scheme and his party is expected to fall in behind him on that, even, so, even though some of them aren't very happy about that, I don't have to. Uh, he can't threaten me with anything uh, that will do me any harm. So he's going to have to negotiate that with me and plus the other crossbench uh, uh, senators. It's going to be a very interesting time. Yeah, uh, tell us about some of the core philosophies of the LDP. I mean, for people that may not know who you are, obviously it's been a whirlwind 12 months, I would say, absolutely. So tell us about the party and some of the core philosophies, what they believe in. The Liberal Democrats, based on a philosophy that we, we call either libertarian or classical liberal, in America you can't call yourself a liberal because that means left-wing. But elsewhere in the world, liberal means a person who believes in small government, being left alone, low taxes, not having too much uh, interference by the government. Libertarian is, is the word the Americans use. Classical liberal is the word we use in the, in the rest of the world, pretty much. So the LDP is about individualism rather than collectivism. So you're responsible for yourself. And it, it's not a heartless thing. It's not to sort of say... Well, you're all on your own no matter what. There is a safety net for you if you're really out of luck. But it's a lot, that's a long way different from having half of Australia receiving some sort of welfare. Uh, David, just explain to us in your own words, um, how far has Australia gone away from, free, from freedom and how much of a nanny state we really are? I mean, we've seen a lot of things happen in the last 30 years that's brought us closer and closer to the nanny state and the people are just not really realising what's going on and we're, and we're, we're losing the ideals of a free nation. What do you, what do you got to say in, in regards to that? Yeah. There's, there's two angles to that and, and you have to join the two together because they reflect the same thing. One is economic. Our taxes are too high and our money is spent sort of buying votes, looking after people that either power thinks is out of luck, paying for people to have children, paying for things that people think are expensive, all that sort of stuff, childcare and all those sorts of things. So our economic freedom has been seriously eroded because our taxes are so high and we're being subsidised for things that we could pay for ourselves. And in a society that values individualism, not collectivism, that wouldn't happen. We would be paying for much more of our life ourselves and relying much less on handing over money to the government and then that government hands it back to us um, or indirectly hands it back to us. So uh, that's called churn. And an awful lot of people who pay tax then get more money back from the government in welfare of some description. So child support, health support, education support, all those things that uh, we, we could pay a lot more for ourselves and run our own lives, you know, the government's trying to do it for us. And of course they interfere. They say, well, you can't just spend it on something you think is important, you spend it on something we think is important and we know better than you, that kind of thinking. So that's the economic side. Then we have the social side where it says, well, well just, it starts, well, we'll decide who you can marry, what the gender of the person you can marry, through to what you can smoke, to when you can drink in King's Cross. Um, we'll, we'll disapprove of your smoking, so we'll tax your cigarettes, you know, hugely. We'll also disapprove you mixing your uh, liquor with your soft drink and call it Alco Pops, and we'll tax it seriously. So 
provide an incentive for you to go and mix it yourself. Yeah, idiocy. Um, we don't approve of your gambling very much, so we'll tax that pretty severely too, and we'll regulate the crap out of poker machines and that sort of thing. And, of course, you're not allowed to smoke and play a poker machine at the same time. Then there's food. I mean, they, they are convinced that the reason we are becoming an overweight country is because of advertising of hamburgers on TV. I mean, it's, it, it is idiotic. It is seriously idiotic. There are people out there who seriously think that uh, McDonald's should be banned and it'll save us from becoming fat, that um, all of our diets should essentially be regulated, um, not allowed to do anything risky or choose for ourselves. Then it goes on to uh, uh, traffic laws. The traffic laws really have not caught up with the fact that roads are better, cars are better. They still have this notion that you're too stupid to drive a car at a, at a safe, safely at a, a reasonable speed for getting around. So we've got to treat you like some kind of child or a bit of an idiot. And uh, it's just an endless philosophy that somebody in the government or somebody who's advising the government thinks they know better than the rest of us. Now, we argue that they don't. They don't know better. But even if they did know better in a few cases doesn't justify them intruding into our lives it's it's our lives to live our way and it's not somebody else's lives we're not children we're adults we can make up our minds for ourselves if we make bad choices that's our also our problem yeah david absolutely mate we've been keeping an eye on your progress ever since you've been elected and you've been uh, writing a lot of good articles in the ma- in the ma- magazines in print media in uh, you've also been on 2UE, 2GB, uh, some of the major radio stations, and they've really tried to, at the onset, at early on, tried to attack your stance on uh, on firearms and, and freedom with firearms. As, as we know, you're a strong believer in concealed carry and right to, de- to, to self-defence, and, and, and you know, and you stand up for what you believe in, and, and that's fantastic. And it hasn't really done you any damage in terms of you know the, the vast majority of media out there because you you, you you do have a lot of credibility with a lot of uh, other policies. Um, now, what I, the question I wanted to ask you in regards to that, why is it that there's so many people within our industry, but in the shooting, hunting and fishing industry, are so scared to stand up for what they believe in and say things as they are? Is it because they're scared of the politically correct police or anything like that? What do you have to say about that? I'm not sure. You're right. There is a, a timidity, if you like, which you don't really find in America. There are plenty of people who are willing to stand up for uh, firearm owners in America and argue back again. It is risky, though, and perhaps that's the concern. The risk is that you'll be treated as some kind of uh, maniac or troglodyte, and so you have to be careful how you present yourself. You know the media's not your friend. Once in a while you'll strike a friendly, uh, friendly person in the media, but overall they're not. And so you have to be aware that you are on dangerous ground. The fact is that probably uh, some people shouldn't talk to the media because they do more harm than good. But I do think that there are a lot of people who could talk to the media and, and would be very effective, but they are reluctant to do so. And yes, you're right. I mean, they, they don't succeed in ridiculing me because, I, number one, I stand my ground. I have facts that I can deal with. I can argue back objectively to them. I have my arguments ready so I can present my arguments to them and we know from an objective point of view the arguments that they use don't stand scrutiny. So if you get the chance to challenge them, uh, then you usually win. The risk is always that, that they will make assertions and then give, not give you a chance to 
say anything in response. So you have to pick your time. You can't just do it everywhere and anywhere. You have to be a little selective. But uh, you, you, can, uh, you can succeed, I think. I think I'm making a little bit of progress. I've got six years to make more progress. David, do you think there's going to be a difference, say, when, we, when you get into the Senate, having any direct issue with firearms, as in will anything come up where we may be able to do something? There are times where they may need your vote for something, where there might be some you know, relaxations, at least maybe on a, um, what do we say, Mario, customs, yep. etc., those types of things with certain firearms, uh, accessories, etc. Do you think you'll have any, uh, that, that issue may come up? And if so, if an issue comes up where they need your vote, what would be your top priority? There will be issues come up, not very much in the form of legislation. It's mostly in the form of administrative stuff. So uh, how the customs people are dealing with firearms-related issues and accessories and so forth, how they're dealing with the administration of, uh, of their jurisdiction, if you like. It comes under Attorney General or Justice Department most of the time, and, uh, and, and they're not legislative things. So the way you can deal with that as a senator... Well, there's several, but the, the most powerful one is called estimates. What happens is there, there is a committee of senators and they call up uh, the heads of the departments that are relevant and they question them, basically, and, and they have to defend themselves. So, for example, if the customs department is giving people a hard time importing firearms or firearms accessories, we can go to the, or call the head of the department up and we can say, what do you think you're doing? Why are you doing that? Why are you interpreting the act that way or the regulations that way and get them to justify themselves, basically? You can do, do things like that. The other area that I have already indicated I intend to do something about is uh, Malabar, Malabar Rifle Range in Sydney. Its tenure is uh, uncertain. There are uh, nice-sounding words coming out of the government that they're going to do something about it, but here we are nine months into the government and it's still far from settled. And um, I'm thinking that there will be a day when they will need my vote. I will have them with a piece of their anatomy in my hand and I can either squeeze or let go. And, uh, and, if, they, um, and if they agree to... Well, if, they, if they agree to what I want, in other words, uh, putting Malabar on secure tenure, I won't squeeze. Uh, would you say, I know I've seen the interview, I'm not sure which, it might have been the ABC where you, you and Bob Day were on there. Would you say your philosophies are ve- sort of very similar? Only on economic things. Uh, Bob Day is a social conservative. It's a bit of what I was saying before about we're being attacked, our freedom is being attacked from both economic and social side. Bob's not so concerned about the social side. Uh, his constituency is, uh, is quite conservative and uh, he would not be called a libertarian like I would be. But on economic issues, Bob is fantastic. Bob is brilliant. He's, his uh, philosophy of low taxes, you know, freeing up the IR system, getting the government off your back and, and leaving your business alone and paperwork, red tape, green tape, he's just the same as me on those issues. So we're going to work together on the areas we agree with, uh, with each other, but on the social issues, we won't bother each other. David, also, um, just in regards to the new Abbott government, we've, we've seen Tony Abbott, the Prime Minister, uh, speak a lot about deregulation. 
We've seen him speak a lot about the removal of red tape. In fact, they've got a special website, the Red Tape Removal Day and, and so on. I mean, how serious do you think the government is about this, especially considering the Environment Minister, Greg Hunt, uh, just recently put the kibosh on uh, big game croc hunting in the NT. I mean, uh, here they are, they're saying they want less regulation, they want to move the country forward, they want more business and so on. And now, on the other hand, what they're doing is they're stopping uh, the Northern Territory government from uh, you know, uh, reaping re- the rewards of big game hunting in the, in the top end and, and, and you know, the Aboriginal community is getting benefits out of that. I mean, how serious do you think the government is on re- repealing the red tape and regulation? And, and do you think you can twist their arm a little bit in re- regards to some of these things? What you have to remember is they are... Uh, up until I, I get in there and perhaps a couple of the other senators get in there, all the pressure is coming from the left. Okay, So they feel that they've got to watch their left flank all the time, but they know that the other side of, of their constituency is looking for the sort of things they're talking about, deregulation and getting the government off your back. So they, they say the words, but they know that if they move, they're going to be severely criticised from the left perspective. I think that we are going to be able to change the government's priorities by talking about what they're not doing, they're just talking about Deregulation Day, which the, the minister is Graham Freudenberg from uh, Melbourne. He is, uh, you know, his heart's in the right place. He's a good guy. And uh, what he did was worthwhile doing. But it was just a drop in a bucket. It's just a drop in a bucket. He's going to he's going to have to do a lot more before it really makes much difference. It was just a tokenistic stuff, really. There's a heap more that needs doing. If we keep the pressure on, he might do it. He has to get it through his caucus, of course... Uh, uh, Graham Freudenberg has to get it through his caucus and some of his colleagues are not as enthusiastic about deregulation as uh, Mr Freudenberg is. There are politics within the Liberal Party or within the Liberal government as well and they're they're not all enthusiasts for it. But we can put pressure on them and say, well, if you don't say it and do it, we will and we'll steal your vote off you. They will have pressure coming from both the left and the Liberal side of politics. I don't like the right wing label but you know, some people assign that to us. But uh, we can put pressure on them from the other side, from the left. Yeah, also, David, all, what I want to ask you is this deregulation um, day uh, website. Would you be able to uh, use this to put some pressure on the government to... I mean, we've got the National Firearms Agreement, of course, and, and all those, uh, all those uh, I guess <laughs> they call it evil-looking guns, you know, the AR-15-type replica firearms for airsoft and all that stuff are pretty much banned in Australia because uh, I guess it's, it's a lot more to do with social engineering, isn't it, than, than the, say, any kind of safety factor. I mean, would you be able to do any kind of uh, convincing the government to remove some of these restrictions so that we can hopefully amend the National Firearms Agreement and allow some of these firearms to be held by law-binding licensed gun owners and so we can open up new sports, new, new industry, new, um, uh, I guess, new markets out there, for, especially for airsoft? Yeah, well, airsoft and paintball, uh, we think, are regulated way too much. I mean, really, they shouldn't be regulated at all, if the truth be known. Our our view is simply that we need a licence so that some people who shouldn't have guns can't get guns, and then after that, it makes no point what kind of gun you've got. That's our view. The National Firearms Agreement, I don't know, and I'm reluctant to get into that too much because uh, I think that's a complex issue, and I think uh, I need to get in there and do a bit of investigating, but it's on my agenda, if I can put it that way. All right, David, to finish off, I'm just going to throw some quick questions at you, right? So simple sort of yes or no. Self-defence. 
Oh yeah, oh, I'm very open about. Uh, uh, I think the issue won't be about guns, though. It'll be about the principle of having something for self-defence. Most people wouldn't, even if they could have a gun for self-defence. Most people wouldn't have a gun for self-defence. They can't have pepper. They can't have mace. They can't have a private, a personal taser. They can't carry a pocket knife for self-defence. Nothing like that. It's all illegal. It, it basically, we're all a nation of victims. When you explain that to people, everybody gets pissed off about it. And I'm prepared to take that up, issue up, no problem at all. Registration, yes or no? No, no registration. There's no need for it. Hasn't, still to solve its first crime. Yeah, me, me and uh, Mars just interviewed the uh, Firearms Registry, uh, New South Wales Firearms Registry yeah, yeah. as well. So when the listeners, hopefully listeners, if we, I'm we not... Put sh- them under a bit of pressure, David. I think you'll, I think you'll enjoy listening to that interview. Uh, Mars, any more questions to finish off? Yeah, mate, just on a, just on a side note, uh, non-firearm related... As you know, uh, I think it's George Brandis. He wants to get, he wants to uh, repeal Section 18C of the Freedom of Speech Act. This is something I think is highly important in our in our democratic process. People should be able to be free to speak as they wish. They should have real freedom of speech, just like they have in the United States. Now, there's been a lot of backlash uh, regarding this. There's a lot of uh, minority groups that are against it. That people are pushing against it, and even now, some uh, liberal senators are saying, "Well, maybe it's not a good idea. Maybe we need to water it down." I mean, will, will you be uh, of some sort of influence regarding this? Will you be able to be pushing forward to make sure they do repeal Section 18C and we return real freedom of speech to the people of Australia? I'd like to think so. I mean, I agree with you. Um, I think it's very important. If it was up to me, repealing 18C would be my first choice rather than just modifying it, which is what the Attorney-General is proposing. In fact, I'd go further than just 18C. There's other sections in the Act, the Racial Discrimination Act, that I'd repeal too. Free speech is very, very important. It's, It's fundamental to a free society. There is backlash, and I think the backlash is coming from people who don't understand the difference between what people think and what they say. Clamping down on what people say doesn't change the way they think, and in, and in many respects it, it reinforces what they think because they think, well, if I'm not allowed to say it, maybe I'll keep thinking it because you know people don't like being told what to do. There's an awful lot of people who, who will go the opposite of what they're told to do. I think the best thing is for ADNC to be removed, free speech to be totally supported, even to the extent of defamation laws could be changed to something like what America has, where you have to prove malice before you can uh, sue successfully for defamation. So in other words, you can say bad things about a a person, about their reputation, and you can only be sued for it if you do it maliciously. In other words, with the intention of harming them, knowing it to be false. Yeah, David, thanks very much for the interview. And just to finish up, mate, um, you guys polled really well in the WA election, the re-election recent federal election. I think uh, you guys got something like about 20,000 votes. Will will the LDP be registered in New South Wales in time for the New South Wales state election? We will see you guys being represented on the ballot box. Uh, Is that something that's going to happen or will you be just under the Outdoor Recreation Party? We're still working on that. It is our intention to be on the ballot paper, but whether we will succeed, I don't yet know. Fantastic interview. Thanks, David. I really appreciate your time. Hopefully we wish you future continued success. And uh, I know that bloody public address, didn't it, just gave us a good run over then. But, you know, yeah, a bit distracting, but uh, certainly some good stuff. And uh, we do, we, as I said, me and Mario have had many, many chats over the phone for many, many hours about what you're doing. And uh, as I said, we've been very hard-pressed to find anything we don't like at the moment. So thanks for your time and really appreciate it. My pleasure. Happy to help.
All right, I'm here with Rob Fickling from Beyond the Divide. How are you, Rob? Very good, thanks, Chase. Mate, I guess for people that don't know, we know we did an interview before. Tell us about the show. Uh, yeah, Beyond the Divide. Um, yeah, adventure hunting TV series on Channel 44 around the country, uh, bar around Australia, bar Tasmania and New Zealand, Northern Territory. <laughs> I've had online and, yeah, Australia's first hunting TV show on free-to-air. Yeah. Yeah. So what about Maroka 30? We're standing here in the... Uh, booth right now mate yeah, just Maroka 30 complex here at the shot show yeah this is Maroka 30 this is what my, my real job this is what I do design hunting gear for Australian hunters yeah tell us about some of the tell us where the show is at right now where are we currently at we are at right now um what season show for, season two season two and we're at episode six <laughs> yeah right now what can people expect from the show? What sort of things they're going to see? Are they going to see hunting just in Australia or overseas? What are they looking uh, at? Yeah, look, same same setup with Beyond the Divide. I, always, I try to split it half and half. So it's um, five episodes around Australia, five episodes overseas, and we this second series we've been over in New Zealand had a cracker session opening the series in New Zealand hunting tar, hunting chamois. And then back home, big scrub bulls, uh, pigs and goats, uh, pigs, lots of pigs, wrapping it up up in the territory on the buff. And then a bit of a spoiler alert, if you get this out quickly, wrapping it up in Idaho on a backpack over the counter, tag hunt for archery elk. How's it been? How's business been today? Been good, mate. It's been flat out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good move since the move from Homebush two years ago, I think we were. So this is good to see out here, very professionally done. The organisers do a great job here. I think that they've, they've shown up in numbers. It's been good. I haven't been counting, but it's been busy. Yeah. Uh, Rob, I love your displays here, especially the Morocco 30. Uh, um, you've got the 3D camo shirts, mate. They look brilliant, and uh, the blaze orange looks excellent. And I really love your, um, your stand here. I mean, it's a lot of great stuff. Look, mate, tell us more about like, hunting in other countries and what sort of difficulties have you faced hunting in other countries in terms of the laws and, and local authorities and, and how do they compare to here in Australia? I really enjoy showing the overseas content. The, 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 the sort of method to my... The reason behind that with the show for me as a producer is to show the rest to show the rest of the country that the rest of the world does what we do. Like we're abnormal. You know, we're the odd ones out in Australia. I'm preaching to the choir here with you boys here. But, um, you know, the rest of the world just gets on with their life and hunters do what they do. You don't, we don't have to prove it and haven't got this big race to prove ourselves like we do here so i love showing that part of it so look mate yeah to answer that question there's i mean you follow the rules and regulations there's no real hiccups um i've hunted in america and new zealand um new zealand's pretty straightforward getting your stuff over there just do the paperwork and america's pretty cool as well i've only um i've mostly done archery stuff over there so getting a bow in the country is pretty cool yeah what about say um uh, what's been your favorite place to hunt so far uh, look, I've got a soft spot for New Zealand. I love hunting New Zealand, but definitely, you know, the the, the mountains of, of North America are, are drawing me recently. You know, as I've sort of expanded my horizons a bit, and those the, those those sheep species and the and the Rocky Mountain goats and the elk, they are, uh, they're a pretty attractive proposition for a mountain hunter like me. What can what can shooters say and hunters do in the future? Make sure we secure this sport. You know, we want to make sure it's around for the kids. We want to make sure you know it's shown in a good light. What can we do for the future? And what can hunters, I guess, shooters and fishers do? 
Yeah, that's a good point, mate. Everyone just needs to appreciate in this country, we've got around an ad in the show down in Melbourne that we've got to remember in, in Australia that we're very privileged here. It's a privilege, not a right to own firearms, you know, whereas in America, you know, they've got a right. We, we don't. We've got this privilege that we have to respect and be careful about. One day, if we got a right, whatever, the fact of the matter is we don't. So we have to protect that right through being responsible. That's what we have to do. We have to do the right thing so people don't want to take that office. So we have to hunt ethically. We have to present ourselves in a professional manner all the time. We've got to rise above the stuff that we're painted with um, from the Greens and the extremists that always do that stupid job of painting us as the yobos that we're not. So we're moving on from that now. Uh, you know, in the last in the last year, I've seen it move. You know, with the television show, with what's happening in Melbourne and Victoria, we had an epic week in Melbourne with the exposure in the media last week. You know, the best media week in, in Victoria I've known in my life. You know, as a Melbourneian. So I reckon we've just about we've just about turned. You know, we've just about sort of broke even. But now we've got to get in front. It's just con- everyone has to remember that, that they, they can't jump that fence. They've got to hunt ethically. They do the right thing. And above all, join a club. They have to be members of a shooting organisation to, to, to show our membership, show our numbers, so that politicians know just how big we are. Got a question for you. A couple of years ago, there wasn't well, there wasn't any really TV shows out there on hunting, shooting, a lot of fishing shows, but not many hunting and shooting. I know now there's so I many people at this show. There's a lot more hunting shows coming up. Do you like the competition? Do you think it's healthy? Do you think it's good? Totally, mate. I'm wrapped. I'm wrapped. Uh, I think it's fantastic. Um, yeah, I've seen the guys here and, and Dave and the boys trying to get their show up, and um, as a couple of other guys coming out there with some really good content. I, I wish them yeah, all the best, and they could certainly contact me at any time if they need some help. I've certainly jumped through a lot of hoops, but I hoped in getting beyond the divide on that it opened up the doors for anyone else, and it's really pleasing to see that to see that come of age and let's hope we have sit, sit back and have a laugh in 20 years when there's a hunting channel on in Australia, right? What a dream that'd be. I did see one uh, the other day on YouTube. There's another Gourmet Hunters one. Did you see that? There's a, uh, it was on YouTube about Gourmet Hunters from table, sort of everything to do with fish and mainly yeah, surrounding... Uh, hunting the menu, guys, I've seen are trying to get up and there's Christian Hauberg up here with his um, omnivore program that looks really slick. Uh, uh, so, yeah, good to see. Good to see it happening. Rob, you, you spoke before about showing the politicians was what it's all about. I mean, how do you feel when, like, for example, the Federal Minister for the Environment, uh, Greg Hunt, who's got a great second name, by the way, how do you feel when he makes decisions to do with, for example, blocking the Northern Territory government attempts to open up hunting for big game hunters for the big crocs up in, in the top end? Now, mind you, these are crocs that are going to be culled anyway by the park rangers because they're deemed as way too dangerous. I mean, how do you feel when politicians do these silly things and, 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 and block all, all this economic potential for the top end and especially for the Aboriginal communities to get some money uh, coming into their communities? Yep, yep. Pretty, uh, yeah, that, that's a tricky one. Uh, it's easy for us to get frustrated with politicians here. They're still making, uh, they're, they're still making decisions um, on behalf of us. They, they, they think they're doing the right thing and we just need the weight of numbers to show... To, to, to power to fight, you know, we saw those amazing figures come out in the media 
in Victoria of the hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, I couldn't believe it when I was watching Channel 7 News with um, Peter Mitchell sitting there saying that, you know, proudly speaking, almost proudly speaking, that hunters are bigger than the spring racing carnival, you know. And I was just at home going, yes, yes, I was waiting for the but if there wasn't one. And then, and then Minister Walsh saying, yeah, yep, the hunters are above average education. They're nice people. They live in the suburbs. They hunt. They pour into the community. Uh, yeah, so they're recognising us. We just need to vote. We need just to demobilise now through membership and through voting and backing guys like the Shooters and Fishers. And, and those politicians will know sooner or later that they can't make a stupid decision like that and they will pay for it with votes down the line. As long as we let these politicians know and they get, and they get punished at, at elections for making silly decisions like that, uh, it'll slowly come around. Frustrating for us, I know it's going to take time. You know, with all the other game council, with what happened the last couple of years, we're lucky down in Melbourne and Victoria. We've got a very pro pro government down there, and ADA is doing some great things in Melbourne. Back on the Crocs, yeah. Look, I just love to see ethical. I just love to see game management of any animal. All right, um, that's a pretty evocative, emotive issue. The Croc. Uh, certainly they're everywhere up there now and there's a big call for introducing trophy hunting back into it. It could be mega dollars. It's got a lot of issues and a lot of paperwork surrounding. I think it's just a too hard basket answer, I reckon. It's, it's just handballing it to someone else to do down the line. Bigger following, bigger numbers, bigger voting, bigger power to hunters. We say, hey, we want this, let's get it in. Sooner or later some politician will go, hey, I want to I get into power. I need these hunters in my corner. I'm going to do this. 439 million for hunting in Victoria. What happened in New South Wales? Yeah, I don't know. I, don't, I really don't know what's going on there up here, fellas. <laughs> Rob, also, um, in terms of that, do you think that the average Joe out there, the average Joe hunter, is doing enough to stand up and speak up about their sport, about their passion, about their culture? Um, look, I think, look, no, no, I think that. I still think a lot of hunters take it for granted. I think they take for granted that privilege that I spoke about. They don't... I still bump into guys at clubs or whatever or they whinge about access and I feel like, mate, and slap you across the face. Access, mate, we've got the best access in the world. We're lucky. We're really lucky being in Victoria and, you know, look, look, shooters and fishers and ADA and everyone fought hard up here to get Game Council going and we saw that move on into what we've got now. But, hey, you've got public land open. In New South Wales, awesome. We've got public land open in Victoria. The access is not a problem. Other states, yes, they've got to kind of grow up and stand on their own two feet now. And I, yeah, I think guys have got to stand up. And we can't fight the battles in Victoria. We can't fight the battles for Perth and Western Australia and Queensland. They've got to stand up and mobilise and do it as well. But the fact is that those other states are getting on with hard work of some individuals that we owe a lot of credit to. And, and, and they're doing it. We've got to pat them on the back. And for those young blokes coming through, they've got to sit back and think, hey, well, you know, I've got a privilege here. I need to reinforce that privilege with membership and just being a bit more aware of how crucial a vote is now or making, yeah, being responsible in the, in the media and doing the right thing. Can people order from Moroka 30 online? Yeah, mate, always. Moroka30.com.au, that's where we're at. Yeah, or in store, in stores, gun shops around the country, yep. Where do they go to find Beyond the Divide? Same place, beyondthedivide.com.au. Rob, I'm going to have a look around your, your great store here. And, uh, mate, it's been an absolute uh, pleasure talking to you. And I'm definitely going to have a look at one of these camo shirts. They look brilliant. And, mate, thank you so much for a great interview. And uh, really, we've been, myself and Jason have enjoyed the show, and it's been great meeting you. 
no problem. Good to see you again, boys. Keep up the good work at your end. All right, I'm just here with uh, my friend Anthony. He's, uh, this is the one I go shooting clays with and go hunting. Hey, mate. How are you, Jace? Fantastic, mate. Tell us what brought you to the shot show today. Oh, I just thought I'd bring out a mate, just have a look around, you know, have a look at all the uh, new accessories that are coming out and just have a general chinwag with like-minded people. Mate, tell us about your hunt, shoot, fish or all of the above. Oh, pretty much all of the above, as you know. Um, we go out together every now and then. We like to go out, hit the state forest. I like to do a bit of, bit of shooting, mitigation time. We like to go down to the rice fields and have a bit of, go, bit of a go down there. Mate, tell us if you vote for a, uh, do you vote for a program party? Always, mate, and it's always a shooters and fishers party. Tell us about the laws. Do you think uh, the laws are good, i.e. registration, you know, the severity of having to get a licence, the, the time frames, etc.? I really don't think the uh, laws in New South Wales uh, suit the law, law-abiding firearms uh, owner. It's, it's, we're always treated like criminals, which isn't a good thing. You know, we should be treated, uh, treated as an everyday law-abiding citizen. Yeah, Anthony, uh, just in regards to the laws, mate, what sort of changes would you like to see happen? What sort of policies would you like uh, politicians to come up with? Uh, first of all, like all of us out at the SHOT Show today, we'd like to see a bit more leniency on the, um, on the law-abiding person, which is 100% of us here. We've done nothing wrong. All we're trying to do is enjoy our, I wouldn't call it a free life, but we're trying to enjoy the things we like in life, such as shooting, hunting, fishing, without uh, being hassled or bothered. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Uh, what, what, what's your thoughts on the fact that uh, you know in, in other free countries like New Zealand, Canada, they they can buy semi-auto uh, shotguns and you know centerfire rifles, even with suppressors, and they've got fairly relaxed laws, and they, they really treat the, the law-abiding firearm owner with a little bit more respect. What's your thoughts on that in relation to Australia? Like I said, uh, the, there's people abroad, as you know, New Zealand, Canada have got really lax uh, gun laws for the law-abiding person. I don't see why in a first world country like we're in, which is Australia, it should be any different. They trust us to uh, have a, a car licence, which is how much people die in car crashes every year, yet they don't seem to hassle us even half as much as they hassle the law, law-abiding firearms owner, which is it's, it's not really fair. There's crashes every year because of alcohol use, because of drug use, because of speeding, but yet they're not taking our cars off us. I don't see why it should be quite a problem of us owning some firearms as law-abiding people. Mate, do you think the media gives the law-abiding gun owners a fair go in Australia? From week to week, you see it in the papers, you see it on the news headlines. Guns caught here, let's uh, tighten gun laws, and especially from the Green Party, who has always got to push to get more gun laws, uh, let's get everything off the market. Always tend to man- mention illegal firearms use, and they put us in the same boat as like criminals, which isn't fair. There's drive-by shootings every day in Sydney. This is our local area. What are they doing to tighten up sentences? Illegal firearms use. Are they... A certain few amount of years ago, there was a push to minimum eight-year sentence for uh, firearms, like illegal firearms found or ammunition, but yet they, they never pushed that. It seems to me that every person that's being charged with something illegal relating to firearms is just let out the side door and let go. Yeah, good good comments there, Anthony. Thanks very much for your time, mate. Appreciate it for taking me on board and have a bit of a chat to you. All right, we are here with Peter Whelan from the Outdoor Recreation Party. How are you doing, Peter? Fine, thank you, Jason. No worries, mate. Tell us about the Outdoor Recreation Party. What are some of their policies? 
Well, the Outdoor Recreation Party uh, supports opening up of a lot of the uh, land in Australia which has been locked away. Um, we support the Unlock Australia uh, program, allowing access, really access for everyone who wants to go and enjoy themselves in the great outdoors. Yeah, what sort of uh, constituents do you have? What sort of people do we have uh, voting for the Outdoor Recreation Party? Well, uh, we have a wide variety. of The, the origins of the Outdoor Recreation Party are in the four-wheel drive movement. And we had a member in Parliament in New South Wales back in 99. Uh, he was there for a few years. Uh, we've now expanded to involve uh, shooters, hunters, uh, archers, quad bike, uh, mountain bike riders even. You know, a lot of mountain bikes, they're not doing any harm. You know, they seem to be a nice little friendly group. Even they've been knocked out of, of uh, mountain bike trails. Ultimately, why should uh, the New South Wales voters vote for the Outdoor Recreation Party? Because we'll stop the Greens. Is that one of the major priorities of the Outdoor Recreation Party, to stop more land being locked up, marine parks? Uh, we're going to advocate for our fish shows as well? Yes, definitely. Fishing, hunting, everyone who's interested in the, in the great outdoors. As I said, it's about, I think it's close to 10% of New South Wales is basically locked away. Yes, they say, oh, it's uh, enjoying the be- uh, beautiful countryside, but if you can't get to it with your four-wheel drive or your, or your trail bike, what's the point? A few backpackers might be able to walk a little way off the main road. Horse riders are now banned from a lot of the, lot of the parks. You know, what, what a great thing it would be if you could go in when you're on your horse, enjoy, the, enjoy some horse riding, trail riding. You know, we've got to start enjoying and utilising our land. It's locked away, becoming overgrown, blackberries, lantana, overrun with vermin, wild pigs... You know, let's get out there and clean the place up. Do you think our, our government agencies, such as National Parks and Wildlife Service, etc., are maintaining these areas correctly? No, Jason. It's been well known that they're under-resourced. They've allocated all this land, national parks, state forests. There's not enough people to manage it, and they admit that they, they're all the time calling out for, for, for more resources, more funding. So why not let that be available to the people who love it and will look after it? and are basically the true conservationists. Peter, uh, g'day mate. Uh, look, it's great seeing you uh, in person. Mate, look, I just want to ask your opinion. Today, we live in a country now where I, when, if I want to take my son down to the beach for a little bit of fishing, I've got to go and, and, and seek out a shop and pay a $7 fee for the day, which is, they call it the fishing licence, I call it the fishing tax. And if I can't find that shop, I've got to pretty much either break the law and keep looking over my shoulder, making sure I don't get caught by an inspector. I mean, is this Australia, mate? Yes, Mario, it's good to meet you too, eventually, uh, after we've exchanged emails. And look, you've hit the nail on the head. We used to be a free country who could enjoy, the, enjoy our own environment without uh, bureaucrats, government officials, uh, lobby groups who have nothing better to do than to stop us enjoying ourselves. And yes, you're right, it's just a tax. And there's a saying that, uh, I, I probably misquoted it, but that when everyone's enjoying themselves peacefully and happily and going about their business, there's a group of people out there that would like to turn a lot of us into criminals. So they create laws. For example, I was just talking to someone recently about the speeding laws. Basically, the speeding limits, speed limits on our roads, are set for revenue raising. Nothing to do with safety, all to do with tax. Yeah, mate, absolutely, I agree. And, I mean, the Outdoor Recreational Party is closely linked to the LDP and we've seen David Lionholm, he's had uh, a really phenomenal success in the media. Um, he's been on uh, almost every TV station and radio station. He's been writing for a lot of publications. And, mate, he's going to be a great representative in the federal parliament. And uh, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. It is, it is phenomenal. 
uh, some people will say, oh, he just won the donkey vote, but everyone accepts that the donkey vote, number one spot on the ticket, is usually only maybe one or two percent, and David got almost ten percent. He had a fairly high profile before the election. The name we've got, Liberal Democrats, is a nice friendly name. And the other thing too is when we when we talk to people about, oh, they've just confused the name with the Liberal Party, the fact is when you looked across the paper, the Liberal Party wasn't shown. It was as the Liberals slash the Nationals. And I know afterwards people said, oh, I looked across, it was Liberals Nationals. I didn't want to vote for the Nationals, so I went back and voted number one, David Lineholm, Liberal Democrats. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Look, uh, I did make a YouTube video regarding that, and I thought it was a surprising amount of votes. And you know what? The the Murdoch media gave you a really good write-up a day or two before the election, and I just thought, wow, this is a fantastic write-up, and I was a little bit confused. I thought, are they trying to put people off voting these guys or put people on? Because really, it it attracted me to your party. It said a lot of positive things. But anyway, uh, what what I was trying to establish is that what is the difference really between the LDP, Outdoor Recreational Party, and say, for example, the Shooters and Fishers? Would you say that the Shooters and Fishers are slightly more conservative and you guys are a little bit more libertarian? Yes, it's difficult to look at uh, across the board because uh, the policies of the Liberal Democrats, for example, we mentioned those, David's in, in the Senate and he's there for six years, so he's not going away. We're more broadly libertarian classic liberal if you want to say that it's uh, the essence of it and all our policies can be embraced by the comment that we want to keep the government out of your pocket and out of your face in other words cut tax and cut bureaucracy so that's all our policies and even though some of them uh, some of the for example shooters and hunters may not be in favor of say liberalizing gay marriage but we say well step back we're not saying you know that you've got to go out and and marry your mate we're just saying, what's it got to do with the government? And a lot of these things overlap. And we're getting a lot of now followers uh, from the, uh, for example, the smoking groups. How dare the government tell me what I can put in my mouth with my own money and my own time and I'm not harming anybody else, the same as they, can, they shouldn't be telling me what gun I can own and, and where I can go and shoot. I'm not harming anybody else. The Outdoor Recreation Party is, does have specific policies to do with the outdoors. So they're still, you can still call them libertarian, but still it involves small government, less bureaucracy, less red tape. You know, no more of these little fishing licences and, and uh, per- permission permission to breathe, sir. <laughs> so uh, that's the thought. But uh, look, I wouldn't like to comment on, you know, Shooters and Fishers have done a great job. They've got two members in Parliament in New South Wales. We would hope that we are working together. I hope to get into the New South Wales Parliament in the March 2015 election. And I'll certainly be looking forward to, uh, to working as cooperatively as I can with, uh, with the two Roberts. Yeah, let's talk about, I know, obviously, the Outdoor Recreation Party. Let's talk about our rights to certain types of firearms. Now, we've got, obviously, have a licence. What would be some of the uh, things the uh, Outdoor Recreation Party would agree with in regards to our current firearms laws? And what would we like to see return to our law-abiding firearms owners? Uh, we're talking specifically New South Wales? Yes. The only thing we would agree with, with the current firearms laws, is that uh, shooters should be licensed. That's all? Full, full stop. Registration? No. Most, most other countries, Canada, for example, have done away with their long arm registration. New Zealand, same. You can have semi-automatic uh, rifles and shotguns in Canada. And I've shot, I've gone white-tailed deer hunting in Canada uh, with the uh, semi-automatic rifles that we are not considered to be 
adult enough to own in Australia. Let's talk about self-defence. What about at minimum? I know uh, David was talking about uh, concealed carry on 2GB last year, uh, which I think was pretty fantastic. But let's talk about just as a start, home defence. Obviously, with a firearm of obviously someone's choice. Uh, what's the Outdoor Recreations Party's uh, either policy or at least opinion on that? One of the fundamental rights that we believe people should have to do with their own civil liberties is the right to protect their own life. And the, and the lives of their families around them and of their own property. We're very strong on property rights and certainly the right to protect yourself from, a, from an invader, uh, an aggressor, should be paramount. And it's incredible that our governments that we've had in the past don't see this as a fundamental right. Yeah, absolutely, mate. The, the government does treat us like, a little bit like children, wouldn't you say? And I, and I think it's refer- refreshing to hear you guys speak the, the way that you do. And you know what? What's so astounding, a lot of people find this language so foreign. And, and, and it just shows you, I guess, how controlled the people in Australia are when they're finding language like this so foreign. And I just see it as common sense, Peter. Exactly, exactly, Mario. Yes, common, common sense is, is what it is. And when, when I talk to people who've got daughters, wives, they say, well, maybe they're not into firearms, so they don't want to carry a, uh, a Glock around with them. And we raise the question, we say, well, what do you think they should be? You know, they're coming back late at home from, from work uh, or being out with their girlfriends. What should they be allowed to protect themselves with? A knife? No, that's forbidden. Pepper spray? No, that's forbidden. Taser? No, that's forbidden. You cannot carry anything, even a pair of scissors, in your handbag if it's for the purposes of self-defence. It's outrageous. Yeah, absolutely. Look, Peter, we are very much looking forward to seeing David in the federal parliament. I certainly hope, uh, at the very least, he spreads a lot of, a lot of the uh, freedom uh, ideals uh, around some of those people in parliament. I don't, I don't think they could even spell the word, to be honest, uh, some of them. But uh, look, mate, he has gone from strength to strength and we support him and uh, yourself as well and, uh, with the Outdoor Recreational Party. And I think it'll be great, actually, um, for the Liberal Democrats to be registered in New South Wales. And I think, look, there's a lot of people saying that, you know, oh, you're going to split the shooter vote and so on. I certainly don't believe that. I believe that the Liberal Democrats stand for a lot of other things apart from shooting that people are concerned about. We're talking speed limits, we're talking taxation, we're talking individual rights, with uh, gay marriage, we're talking prohibition of certain drugs. I mean, you know, there, there is a lot of issues out there that, that the uh, two majors are not tackling because they're so far in the middle now that they will not step outside the middle there. And, and that's why, I guess, the protest vote in Australia is growing every year. Well, we're looking at, what, almost 30% of the country that didn't vote for the two majors, Peter? Yes, that's correct. It's the nail right in the head. And we're, and we're thinking maybe our theme for the uh, New South Wales election is we're not Labor and we're not Liberal. And we're certainly, and we're certainly anti-Green. But uh, yes, you're right. I think it was more, uh, maybe more than 25% of voters did not choose one of the major parties. We like to call them as the old antiquated parties because they're not in tune with what's happening and what the mood of the electorate is. Well, let's hope future success towards uh, 2015. Hopefully, you know, we, get, you know, we can have a, a, a fair amount of pro-gun parties in Parliament to represent shooters and, and, and our other rights too. It's not just about you know, hunting, shooting or fishing. It's about our other rights and getting our freedoms back. So I guess thanks for joining us, Peter. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Mario. Thanks for the opportunity. Enjoy the show. All right, we're just here with Max Farrelly. I interviewed Max on one of my shows. I think it was 14, Max, wasn't it? Yeah, well, maybe even before that, when you first started, started out, Jase. 
Yeah, it was about uh, the Fox Whisper and Rax Farrelly. It was a great show. Mate, tell us, uh, do you love hunting? I mean, most people know you love hunting. What do you love hunting the most? <laughs> foxes, mate, you know that. He loves, he loves hunting foxes. Um, I guess, uh, mate, tell us about what do you think about uh, the SHOT Show? What brought you here today? Oh, mate brought the kids here. They're both running around crazy looking at everything. Just, yeah, bought a bit of gear that I need for hunting. But I'm just about to get my operation. That's why I haven't been doing much shooting or posting videos. I've just been a bit crook lately. What sort of gear you got, mate? Oh, what I bought yeah. today. Knives. Oh, I bought heaps of stuff. I can't even remember. <laughs> bullets. I bought a lot of bullets yeah. for uh, range. I've been buying a lot of the Lapua and I bought the Nozzle to test out. And, yeah, just, just bought projectiles mainly. And what are your thoughts on the shot show in general? What do you think is a good turnout? Um, are you happy to be here? Um, you know, you excited? Tell, tell us more about it. Oh, mate, it's great. The kids love it. They're just running around all over the place. Never met such a great bunch of blokes, you know, a lot of... A lot of women here too, which is good to see. The girls and the double S double got the the range there. That's packed where they're all trying to have a shot and that. It's fantastic. Yeah, we know we know uh, Max loves his two oh four, correct? Yeah, but I got I'm swimming towards the two four three now. Yeah, that's right. He did. He got the uh, it was a Howard, wasn't it? The Howard uh, built into the two four three. Was it rebarrel, wasn't it? Two four three. Yeah, I won the Howard on the magazine, and then I I couldn't get the three oh eight to shoot, and it was in three oh eight, so I changed it to two four three. That's right, mate. Tell us about, and obviously, we're, again, we're still standing in front of the Shooters and Fishers Party our booth here at the SHOT Show. Um, do you think, not just, not just our pro-gun parties, first off, do you vote for a pro-gun party? And second off, do you think, are you happy with their performance over the last five years? Yeah, I always vote pro-gun, always. Always for outdoor parties, and I never vote, never vote Liberal or Labor. Always, mate. <laughs> Even though I stir you, Jase. Look, mate. What I wanted to ask you: in what what particular policy are you really interested? Uh, our pro guns party push for what? What sort of legislation do you want abolished, and what sort of policy you want pushed ahead? I just like you know. I just like it to, not to tie everything up so you can't shoot anywhere. You know, like it's hard enough to go onto a property and all the stuff that you got to to have just to get a license and to get a gun I just like to take my kids out shooting you know and into the parks and we're not we don't want to go where other people are we we want to go out there and a lot of times we don't even fire a shot it's just what our sport and what we like doing I'd like to see them free up the more of the state forests and the national parks in yeah so I mean I'm guessing that you want a little bit more trust built between hunters government and and I guess the, the the wider public in general is that correct that's right, yeah. We just need to sort of trust each other, I suppose. And a lot of the public just listen to what they hear and see on the media and they don't actually come and actually meet the people here. We're all normal people. Mate, fire, uh, let's say talk about some of the laws. Firearm registration, agree or disagree? Disagree with that. Yeah, what about, what about firearms in the home for self-defence? Oh, I agree, you should be able to have a, a firearm in for self-defence, yes. What I also wanted to ask you about is uh, the current state of politics in Australia. We know that uh, we have a pro-gun senator in the federal parliament, David Leinholm from the LDP, and he's been writing a lot of good uh, articles in, uh, in the recent media, in the Financial Review, in a lot of online stuff. And we know we've got uh, shooters and fishers really going strong at the state level. Do you want to see a lot more representation, especially not just from the, from the pro-gun parties, but do you want the Labor and Liberal politicians to listen a lot more of the constituency regarding shooting, hunting and fishing and bring out policies that are a little bit more, uh, I guess, um, cons- considerate of uh, all the people that want to uh, use public lands. 
Well, that's yeah, of course we do. We're just normal Australians, and we just you know the the Greens start to get a bit get ridiculous. We're just normal people, and whether it's Labor, Liberal, whoever, we just want we just want them to be sensible about the laws and don't be ridiculous. That's right. A fair go, Max Farrelly. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Jase. Thank you. All right, I'm just here again at the Shooters and Fishers Party booth with Pete Johnson. How you, mate? Yeah, g'day, Jase. How you going? G'day, Mario. G'day, Pete. How you doing, mate? Yeah, really good. Really good. It's a great show, isn't it? Absolutely, it is a great show. Um, obviously, we know I had you on, I think it was my last show, wasn't it? Because we didn't get one out this yeah. week because yeah. of the SHOT Show. Tell us what your plans are, obviously, up for or to try and get elected at the next election in uh, 2015. Uh, what can we expect? Oh, what you're going to expect is you're going to get another politician from the Shooters and Fishers Party that's no nonsense, that's pro-outdoor freedoms against a lot of restrictions that we face, anti-marine park, and um, on the hunting side of things, to make it simplified and get rid of this stupid ammunition bill. If you want to take it outside at our party, let's look outside things like the Native Vegetation Act that Robert Brown's put forward, the planning bill, how we oppose that, to give uh, property owners the rights to refuse gas exploration companies. Just good common sense policies that uh, represent people in outdoor areas. Yeah, exactly. So tell us, I mean, why should, yeah, people are coming up, they want a, a fishing vote to vote for. Why should, what parts are you going to tackle at the election? What do you, what sort of is the, is the constituent going to be? I mean, obviously, you, you, you know, like hunting, shooting and fishing, all the above, but we know you're sort of going to take that on that fishing role. So what are some of the things you're planning on doing us over the next 12 months? And uh, what sort of uh, things are we going to go to outside exhibitions or people heading out to the boat ramp? We know they did Balambi Point boat ramp, doing meetups and greets. What sort of the plans over the next 12 months? All right, well, next 12 months, we're leading up to March. The election, we're going to be hitting most of the major boat ramps up and down the coast of New South Wales and some of the inland waterways as well. Um, we're going to try and time it for the peak fishing seasons in those areas. I'll be able to get out to the boat ramps on the weekends and, and campaign and tell people what, what our platform is, which which I'll start with. Currently at the moment, the Greens have got a campaign. Uh, I don't know if you know Fish Out of Water. It's a tackle store over at Manly Vale. The Greens have put a, um, a poster right opposite Fish Out of Water. It's in Mike Baird, the Premier seat. It says... Mr Premier, 9 out of 10 people agree with marine sanctuaries. Now, we don't know where they get that figure from. They've got this huge billboard opposite fish out of water. I can tell you, 9 out of 10 people oppose marine sanctuaries. Marine sanctuaries do not work. It's a feel-good situation. But they're now trying to appeal to the left side of the, the Liberal government to bring in more marine parks in the Sydney area. We are dead set fighting against that. We don't want them. We know that the current marine parks are a fraud. They are not set up under the guise they were told they would be and they haven't returned what they said they would do when they set them up. That's job number one, repeal marine parks. Role number two, okay, we want to see a recreational fishing body similar to along the lines of the Game Council when it was set up. So it'll be an authority body set up to look after recreational fishing matters. So it'll be self-regulating if you like. You then get proper science added to it. You'd start to see some impact to be funded from the fishing licence. It's not going to be squandered on other areas such as paper roads. Now, the fishing licence, I know, and Mario, you're probably going to ask me of this because I know you wanted to do it in the last podcast. Where did the Shooters and Fishers Party stand with the fishing licence in New South Wales? Well, we stand, but we're for it. However, we will not tolerate any way, means or form of tampering with that recreational trust fund to go and fund other projects that don't enhance recreational fishing. If the government wants to go and buy commercial fishermen out, let the government buy it. Don't let the recreational fishermen do it. Things like um, funding Gadden Hatchery, we had to do that several years ago to fund the saving of the Gadden Hatchery, otherwise there would be no trout hatcheries supplying fingerlings for recreational fishermen in New South Wales. So with that and Ebor Hatchery going to close, 
that was originally said we'll get some money out of the recreational trust fund, which was raised by the income from the, the recreational fishing fee. Let's get it straight. It's not a licence, they call it a fee. It was originally sold that fishing licence would give you access to the resource. However, it hasn't always proven out to be what it was sold to us as. The likes of Shoemaker and Clark said, go and get a fishing licence, that will give you an instant say in the resource. Well, what a load of crap that was. Plain and simple, that was a load of crap. One question, some people say before, like you said, we want to get a, a regulatory fishing body, uh, also in a fishing fee. Some people will say, you know, before all this stuff, before there was a fishing fee, fishing was in good order. Would you say that's correct? And what, how is it going to be beneficial to have, A, I guess, a fishing fee, or again, we call it tax, but a fishing tax, and a regulatory authority? How is that going to make fishing better when fishing was in a good way before? OK, fishing was in a good way before, and fisheries management is the management's okay, and as I said to you once before, it's the administration which is really, really left wanting. Recreational fishing and commercial fishing are two separate things. Let the government worry about the commercial resources, okay? We as recreational fishermen are not impacting the fish stocks. Fisheries' own figures say less than 1% of a fishing excursion result in a bag limit catch. So we're steadfastly opposed to any more bag limits on recreational anglers because we're not doing any problem. Less than 1% of a fishing trip results in a bag limit catch. So what we're saying, if we can get control of this and have recreational body that looks after what the recreational sector does, we're not going to be stripped of data which is used to funk up, falsely justify the government's claims because we know fisheries have a green agenda. They want to take more and more people out of the fishing equation. Now... If we stop paying a fishing licence, we won't have the funds to fight these things. That's the only thing. It's, I guess it's a necessary evil. You know, if you're paying something, you get a fair bit of a, a say in the industry. We want to keep that say in the industry. I know Mario's dying to say something. <laughs> Thanks, Jason. Look, Pete, I, I would like to live in the country where I can take my son to the beach to fish and not worry about finding a shop to pay a fishing licence or a fishing tax and, and if I can't find that shop to buy that licence or pay that tax, I've got to constantly look, at, look over my shoulder hoping not to get uh, stung by one of these inspectors. Well, now, there's, there's not many of them to get caught. Well, well, that, well, well, that's right. well, that's right. But just regarding your interview with Jason recently in the podcast, you're advocating for more inspectors uh, to be out there? Because no, not, not, not on a policing matter of recreational fishing licences. I want to clarify. The reason, one of the main reasons they want, they want to bring um, more bag limit restrictions on recreational fishing is because in certain areas there's a black market industry going on fishing. So they think the way to police it is reduce the amount they can catch. Well, these blokes are going to break a bag limit now for a recreational catch. They're not going to stop at a lesser limit. So if funding more fisheries inspectors means going out there and stopping those shamachers or the black market fishermen, I'm all for that. But I don't want to be paying a licence so they regulate me because, let's face it, I'm not going to fish every time to get 20 brim. You're not going to fish every day to catch 20 brim. The saltwater bag limits give you a possession limit of, of one day. You can't go out and get your next, next 20. Speaking of those bag limits, you're saying less than 1% actually reached the bag limit. So what's the point of the bag limit? Shouldn't, exactly. Should, that, that shouldn't, is shouldn't, the, shouldn't the Shooters and Fishers Party be advocating to, to reduce, to get rid of these, uh, legis- uh, this legislation, to get rid of this tax, to keep the government out of your tackle box? Well, that's a very valid point. We've tried that in the past to get rid of bag limits. Okay, now with the bag limit situation, what we're looking at is maintaining what they are. There's no need for them to go down. It's very hard to go back to retain what we want 
but let's stop what they want at the moment. We've asked for a cessation of the commercial and recreational reforms. Let's stop it there. Then let's go back to the table and look at it because they've got to be able to provide scientific data that says to us the fish stocks are under threat. We know they're not. We know they're not because we're sustainable. The commercial fishing industry technically is sustainable. Let's just stop the rot now and then let's look forward to the future trying to claw some of them back. I mean, why have a bag limit of five Australian salmon when the commercial fishery can go and get 50 tonne in a shot? There's no parity there. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. But, but one thing, Pete, I don't hear the shooters and fishers saying is that we will abolish all the bag limits. And I think the voters, punters out there need to say that. Also, on the side note, why should the vast majority of fishers in New South Wales be paying for a hatchery somewhere in Jindabyne that no-one's going to go to? A lot of those trout are, trans, are re- relocated to other areas. So Gadden Hatchery was the source of uh, trout fingerlings for most of the southern and western uh, region dams. Without that, you would have had a, a stocked fishery. Now, there's an issue at the moment that in the um, Snowy Mountain Lakes, and especially Yugambin and Jindabyne, there's not a lot of rainbow trout. Now, there's a lot of browns, because the browns are a more aggressive fish, and a lot of the browns are wild-hatched. There seems to be a link in hatchery-raised fish and their survival rate, because they're not taught the wilds. They're sort of a bit dumb when they get released and the shags, cormorants, all the, all, all, all the other birds get them. The brown trout predate on them. Yabbies will get smaller fingerlings. So without that, we wouldn't be able to put more and more back in for um, freshwater fishes. And so it's not just Jindabyne. It's southern and southwestern and central western uh, fisheries that have been stocked with those fisheries, say, from Jindabyne. And Ebor's looking after the New England and northern regions. Pete, also uh, you noted that some of the money that was spent was gone to diving wrecks. Yeah, and, and all what that an absolute load of crap Mate, that and was. And that's what I was saying. I mean, well, I don't think we can get the pundits out there to believe that we can trust the government to use that money wisely. And also, one of the things you mentioned uh, in the interview with Jason is that you believe in everyone's common law right to fish for a feed. I mean, if I've got to go to the beach with my son and I've got to pay $7 before I'm allowed to do that, I mean, who, who owns this country? Do the people of Australia own the country, the coastline and the fish that are in it, or does the government own it? No, we own it. They're, they're the sovereign rights of the people, if you want to look at the Crown Act. Let's go back to the first point you raised, and that was about... Um, in relation to you saying we own it, but we don't really own it because we've got to pay for access. you got an R licence? Yeah, I do. Same issue. Yeah, I, yeah, I understand that. I understand that. But what, what I wanted to tackle, I wanted, really wanted to get the, the central point of this argument, is that the R licence gave us access to lands that we previously didn't have access to, right? Whereas, the, whereas yep. in, in fishing, we always had access to the coastline, to our waters, to the fish. It belonged to the people. And now, all of a sudden, the fishing licence, what the government is saying, or the fishing tax is saying, well, you don't really have a right to access the water unless you pay the fishing tax. And then if you pay the fishing tax, you won't get fined by the inspector. What do you, what do you say about that? Yeah, it is a stiff a stiff question and a stiff law that says we've got to have a fishing licence to go fishing. I hate it. I, personally, I hate it. I hate so, so why wouldn't you fight to abolish it? There's a lot of people out there that are in favour of it. So we've got to go with what the modern populace really wants. And we found that there are positives to the fishing licence. So if we want to set up this recreational body for, for rec fishing, unfortunately it's going to, got to come from somewhere and the government's not going to fund it. It's got to come from somewhere and that's why we're saying let's keep the licence here to fund that. If they don't want to do any of that party, well then we'll say, yeah, jam it, we don't want it. Do you want to be made a criminal for just going fishing? It's, 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 a, it's a catch-22.
I've got my kayak. I want to go fishing. I want to catch a brim. <laughs> oh, you can't, Jason, because you can't find a shop to pay your tax. I just do it online. But anyway. Well, that's what I did my last license. I did online with an iPhone. Yeah, exactly. But, um, there, was a, there was one part, of, the first part of your question, which first it was the license, but uh, the second part was the license. What was your first part? I, I, I guess, hang on. I oh, get, the artificial reef. Yeah, right. Hang on, one question, but I thought he'd guess the same. Well, if there's a fishing license, if you're just saying it's a common law right to fish, then why do we need a license? I mean, it sort of, it basically is contradicting it. That's, that's what got, I'm we, hearing. We've got a right to drive a car. Why do we have to pay for a bloody car license? I might have to buy an extra license to drive a semi-trailer, all right, because it goes with a skill set. It's, it is a tax, let's face it. It's a tax. Anyway, let's finish. We've, we've, we've can I, can I just talk about the artificial reef? One of the things that really got my blood boiling was these sycophants that sit there on fisheries boards and approve expenditure. Now, why in the hell did these people fund, through recreational fishing trust fees, an artificial reef and give the divers or the diving society rights to visit that without them paying a share of it? If they want to dive that artificial reef... Let them pay their share, but don't let me fund it when I can't have sole access to it. I'm dirty about that, and the party's dirty about that. And we have said we want an exclusion of diving on artificial reefs that the trust fund has paid for. That is our statement on that. Can we, can we make sure, obviously, when, uh, they, let's say they set up this uh, regulatory authority, that obviously there's going to be a board or something along those lines, how can we be sure that no form of people that don't like fishing or that don't want our rights to get in the water are impacted on this new, say, game board or this new bureaucracy? Well, very good question. You've got to be very candid with how you make your selections and who's in charge of the selection committee. I mean, look, we've got stooges that are looking after our trust funds at the moment. You're talking bureaucracies. You know the secrets of bureaucracies. That just They'll go and work what they want. But hopefully, if we can get along the same line as we had with the Game Council where we know we go and invite people from the industry that we can trust to come and apply for the board. Otherwise, it's just going to be another bureaucracy. There's no point in setting it up in the first place. And again, just to clear it up, I did speak with Pete off the air a couple of days ago on that email we received from somebody. It's not a regulatory authority that has you've got to book in for access, correct? No, no, no. Look, still the same access you got. You want to go fishing, you fill your licence online, whatever it is. You don't have to say, I want to go fish at George's River at Caravan Head on Thursday for four hours and I'm going to, going to use a 12-foot rod. No, it's not a policing authority it is just a body that controls recreational fishing looks at the scientific data to determine if there's an issue so all right so you get something like um the pippi closure we're going to ask the on-key scientists to say what's the problem with the pippies can people successfully harvest pippies for recreational use yes no things like that or is there a problem with the bim stocks in Coyla Lagoon down the south coast? No, there's not. Good, thanks very much. We'll continue as it is. They might recommend a three-month closure on the spawning season. Great idea. Move ahead with it. That's the sort of thing we're looking at it. Same as we're going to shut down a, a, a certain section of a state forest to rest that area so we can go and move into other areas. It's like how the R licence ticked over. It's just looking after yourself. All right, Pete. Thanks for your time, mate. I'm glad we sort of got to clear up a few of those things. Hopefully it's a big good run up until the uh, 2015 election and make a good run of it, hey? I'm hoping we do. Look, vehicles such as yourself, these podcasts, they're really good for the party to get the voice out there. And as we know from Podcast 57, a lot of correspondents came in and wanted to clarify a few things up. And I really thank you two for giving us a chance to clarify that to the public. Thanks a lot. Thanks. You've just been educated and this is the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next time.